Right, well, I thought I'd start tonight um, just with a, a quick question. Um, I wonder if any of you have been to a place uh, that is so amazing, that's so remarkable, that you struggle to, to capture it in words. When I, was, uh, when I was 23, my brother and I and a friend, we traveled to South America to the country of Peru. I think there are a couple of pictures here. And we traveled, this is a real blast from the past, that's a younger version of Pastor Hilmer. Cameras weren't that good back then. But we traveled to, um, to the place called uh, Machu Picchu, and we checked out the, the ancient ruins there. It's just, it's something else to see. You see it on postcards, but this is, um, uh, this is actually one of the ancient, or sorry, it's described as one of the, uh, the wonders of the modern world. I think that's, uh, it's on the list of seven. It's just a, a stunning place to see. And when I look at, at those pictures, uh, they bring back good memories, but at the same time, I know that they, they don't truly capture what it was like uh, to be there. And I, I want us to kind of think about that as we get into our topic tonight, because tonight I'm going to read from Article 1 of the Belgian Confession, which describes the attributes of God. Right? We're going to encounter something amazing. We're going to encounter something remarkable, and that is the, the character of who God is. And yet we know that those words alone are not able to actually capture who God truly is. But I hope what they do is that they awaken in you a desire to experience that for yourself. Um, that as you think about the characters and the qualities and the attributes of God, specifically tonight his wisdom, that you would desire to know that and to experience that just personally for yourself. And so I'm going to read from Article 1 uh, of the Belgic Confession, which I have to read from a distance here, so we'll see how good my eyes are, um, which describes the fact that there's only one God. We believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is a simple and spiritual being. He is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. And so I'm going to focus specifically just on that one attribute tonight where God is described as perfectly wise. So the wisdom of God, when we talk about wisdom, I think people often confuse it with knowledge. And those two things are not necessarily the same, right? Knowledge is, is what you contain up there. Uh, wisdom is taking that knowledge and applying it in a way that serves the best possible purpose. Let me maybe describe the difference. If you were to take something random, um, I'm going to use the example of mushrooms. If you're going to take something like mushrooms, you could have a lot of knowledge about them. Right? You could know that they're, they're not actually classified as a vegetable, they're not a fruit, they're, they're classified as a fungi. Uh, you could know that commercially they're grown in barns, uh, they're grown in the dark, they're actually grown in manure. Um, Okay, so you could know all sorts of things. That is knowledge. But wisdom, I say, is choosing not to eat mushrooms. See, that is a difference. Right? Now, if we apply this, some of you are like, amen, testify. In all seriousness, when we apply it to the topic of Scripture tonight, I want to use this definition of wisdom. All right? Wisdom, you should see this on the screen, wisdom is knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. And, and biblically speaking, 
um, the greatest goal in any situation is the glory of God. Right? And so when we're talking tonight, when we're thinking about the wisdom of God, we're saying that not only does God know everything, but he, he uses that knowledge in his wisdom to guide and direct events in a way that ultimately serves for the greatest possible glory of his name. It's one of the amazing things about God. And I wanted to read just as a, as a short background reading tonight from Romans chapter 16, and I, I find it fascinating that Paul, after he has this incredible kind of theological work in the book of Romans, um, talking about just the plan of God and salvation, that he concludes that book just by praising God for his wisdom. Let me read just a couple of verses with you. Romans 16, the verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so what I've been doing at Fellowship when I walk through these attributes is I've been using kind of three questions. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an approach that I take not just uh, when, when teaching, it's something I use just in devotions, in preparing sermons. I often ask uh, these three questions when we look at a text. Uh, what does the Bible say? And then secondly, what, is that, what does that actually mean? And then thirdly, why does it matter? Those are the three questions that we're going to use tonight. What does the Bible say? Uh, about the wisdom of God, what does it actually mean, and then finally, why does it matter? So what does the Bible say? Um, the Bible actually says a lot uh, about the wisdom of God. It's a really prominent theme uh, in Scripture. And one of the things that the Bible does is it makes clear um, kind of the various ways in which the wisdom of God is revealed to us. It speaks a lot about just how the wisdom of God is made Manifest, And I wanted to just focus on uh, three different ways. I know there's two on your screen, but I'm going to mention three different ways in which we encounter the wisdom of God uh, in the world. I'm going to be fairly brief here, but uh, the first one is simply this. We encounter the wisdom of God in creation. And I think this is one that we're actually often guilty of overlooking. Uh, perhaps it's because we all have... Uh, Things like, you know, we have our gadgets, right? We have all these, these things, and we spend a lot of time uh, just absorbed and, 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 and kind of caught up with these gadgets that are made by people, right? And, the, and they are cool, they're fascinating, right? But we overlook just the beauty of everything that's been made by God. And I think we, we sometimes we don't actually step back and just, just enjoy the wonder of some time in creation. Just, just experiencing the beauty of this world that God has made, a world which is just so uh, intricately made and fashioned for the existence and the flourishing of human life. Um, you think about just the wonder, even just things we overlook, the wonder of the human body, right? The, the remarkable nature of, you know, skin, bones, nerves, um, the, the way that we're put together. There's just, there's just so much about creation that speaks to the wisdom of God. And the Bible has all these passages that talk about it. Let me just, just a couple for reference. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
day-to-day pours out speech and night-to-night reveals knowledge. Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Um, my, my daughter and I, one of my youngest daughter, um, we have this thing we do. We call it animal of the day. It's, uh, it's this routine that we have before bed. We, we always watch uh, a, a YouTube video of just a different animal. We pick a different one, different creature, insect, doesn't matter. But we pick one thing that we just want to learn something about. And so a while ago, we picked, uh, we picked the insect, the large blue butterfly, which was actually quite fascinating. It has this incredible uh, life cycle. So we watched this short clip. You can check it out later for yourself. Uh, but it's this amazing clip where you, you have the large blue butterfly, which is only found in like southern England, and it, it lives uh, and it feeds on this, this specific plant, this herb, I think it's called thyme. That's, that's the one, I think I have it right. That's the one that it lives and it feeds on. And so it goes there and it, and, and it, um, it, it lays its eggs, its, its little larvae, on these plants. And they, these little baby caterpillars, I'm not a scientist, so I'm doing my best here, but it, they, they fall to the ground. And normally you would think that would be disastrous because there's all sorts of things that will feed on it. But what happens is that these, these, little, these little larvae, they give off a scent that makes the ants think that it's, it's a baby ant. Okay, if you're tracking with me. So, so the ants, what they do when they come across these, these larvae is they take them and they bring them into their little nests, their little uh, nests in the ground. And they end up feeding them as if they're their own little baby larvae. Now, when the larvae get a little bit bigger, these, these caterpillars actually end up feeding on the ant larvae. And, okay, that part's not as fun. But what's cool about it is this, that... What God does is he uses that so that you, you don't have the ant population get out of control because the nests are actually hard on the soil, and if there are too many nests, then the thyme, the plant that the butterflies need to live on, would not be able to grow. Right? It's, this, it's this unbelievable balance of life, and when you actually stop and reflect on it, you just see in creation just something of the, the just incredible wisdom of God. We also see God's wisdom in his will. Um, this I spoke about, I think about a month ago when I was here last. This is kind of the providence of God. Um, and this is just, we see God's wisdom in the way that he guides and directs uh, the events of this world. Now I said at that time as well, we don't always understand that. Um, we don't always see how God is guiding and directing things. But at the same time, that shouldn't that shouldn't surprise us. Um, You have passages like Isaiah 55 where God says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is why, for example, this is why we would never have drawn up the story of Joseph. And as human beings, we, 
we would never have imagined how God would use you know, one brother being sold by his other brothers, getting betrayed and falsely accused and imprisoned and then forgotten. We, we would never have thought how God would possibly use all of the events to, to make Joseph second in command so that he could ultimately save God's people from a famine that was going to come upon the land, right? Your thoughts are not our thoughts. It's also why we would not have thought of the story of Jesus. We would never have thought of this kind of a plan of salvation, of God coming to earth and taking on human flesh, being born of a virgin so that he could be perfectly God and perfectly man. That he could come and, and fulfill in, in perfection the obedience to God's law that God required so that his righteousness could be ours, that he would lead the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserved to die. We would never have thought of the cross as the place where God's wisdom, sorry, God's justice, I should say, and God's mercy could both perfectly be satisfied. Right? The, the plan of salvation reveals something of the wisdom of God. And finally, I should have added this, but I didn't. Um, we also just see God's wisdom in his word. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple, right? So we have the wisdom that God gives uh, simply for, for life, for how to live. So, so that's what the Bible says about it. Let's just think for a second about what does that actually mean? What does it mean that God is perfectly wise? Well, it means that we have a God who knows perfectly who we are, and he knows perfectly what we need, and he knows perfectly how to orchestrate the events of our lives in order to achieve that in a way that will ultimately serve for our good and for his glory. Um, this is the beauty of Romans 8, verse 28 and 29. This is perhaps one of my favorite passages in Scripture. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. About a month ago, um, I had to do a little trip over to McMaster Hospital with one of my children. A little incident with a broken arm. And uh, when we got there, I, I was just thinking about, um, I'm a people watcher. You probably know that about me. So I, I can't help but just sit there in the hospital and I'm just watching all of the individuals that are there. And you've got, you've got infants, you've got little children, and you know, they're screaming in pain. They're not able to, to communicate what's wrong with them. Then you have you know, older children like my son who's, who's able to articulate exactly what's wrong and where the pain is. But what's, what's interesting is watching the doctors as they just kind of go from station to station. And and they just listen, and they learn, and they watch, and they touch, and they feel, and they gather all of this knowledge, and then in their wisdom, they, they use that knowledge to determine just exactly the treatment that each specific child needs. Right now, not all of that treatment um, is pleasant. Right? In the case of my son, it was actually relatively painless. It, it involved just a, a quick cast, and, and he was on his way. But for others, um, it involved major surgery. For some, 
there are children that are they're sick there with cancer, and you know it's going to involve things like um, it's going to involve things like chemo and radiation, and you know that that's not going to be pleasant. But the doctors still prescribe that treatment because they care, and because they they want to see these children restored and able to lead the life um, that that they're intended to. And I think we, we need to remember that God is the great physician. And God sees each and every one of us. And, and in his perfect wisdom, he knows exactly what each and every one of us needs. Now, admittedly, what we need is not always pleasant. And so sometimes we encounter things in our life that are hard, things that are, things that are difficult. And, and yet... God allows those things to happen because his, his desire is to take us and to shape us and to mold us to be more like Jesus so that we can truly live the life that we're intended to live. So we've talked about what, it, what does the Bible say, what does it mean. Let me just close with a couple of points on, on why does it matter. I just want to make three points of application on why, why does it matter that you believe in a perfectly wise God. The first is that it leads... Um, I think it leads us to adoration of God's wisdom. If you truly believe that God is perfectly wise, it leads you to a place of worship. I think of Paul in uh, Romans chapter 11. Towards the end of Romans chapter 11, he's just finished again talking about the incredible plan of salvation that God has laid out. And it just brings him to a place of worship. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. As he reflects on the wisdom of God and his plan of salvation, it leads him to a place of worship. The second thing um, that it should do is it should lead us uh, to an acceptance of God's wisdom. And this one, um, uh, this one I say pastorally, uh, this is hard. It's easier for me to say than it is to actually believe and experience and live out. Um, but if you think of someone like Job, right? Job has these devastating things that happen to him, difficult, difficult things. Um, and Job is far from perfect and he has his questions but he also is able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think the more that we're able to truly take hold of the fact that God is perfectly wise, um, the more that we're able to, to let God be God in our lives, um, even when things are difficult. That we're able to entrust things to him because we really have a conviction that even when we don't understand that he, he, he is perfectly working on a plan that we might not see. And then finally, just this, it, I think a belief in, in a God who's perfectly wise leads us to give attention to God's wisdom. James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Or think of um, the book of Proverbs, right, where we're exhorted to seek wisdom, seek wisdom. And I, and I would encourage us to think about that. Regardless of what age you're at, we spend a lot of time 
a lot of time pursuing a lot of things, giving our attention to a lot of things. But if we truly believe that through the Spirit we have access to a perfectly wise God and that there is wisdom in his word, then we should seek wisdom, knowing that um, the perfect wisdom of God is ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. And so again, just searching his word, not just simply for the sake of searching his word, but searching his word uh, ultimately because we want to see Jesus. I'm going to leave it at that, and then I will, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'll take some questions after we sing. I almost forgot how the liturgy worked here. It's been a while, so let me pray, and then I'll take some questions. Father in heaven, thank you for um, the wisdom that you reveal in your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who you teach us is the exact imprint uh, of your nature, Lord, that in him we see perfect wisdom in his life, in his death. And we pray that you would encourage us uh, to devote ourselves to seeking wisdom. Lord, we know that it has such value uh, when it comes to how we handle different things in our lives. It has such value when it comes to how we treat others, how we speak with others. It has such value when it comes to how we speak into um, the lives of those around us uh, about who you are and about your plan of salvation. And we pray that as we think about our lives, as we think about the way in which you've guided even our own uh, circumstances, we pray that you would help us to see something of that wisdom and that it would also lead us to a place of worship. Uh, we long to be gripped by the reality of who you are. And we know that words alone don't do that. Uh, but we pray by the power of your spirit that you would captivate our hearts, uh, that you would give us an eye to see Jesus, and that in doing so, uh, we would find fulfillment, that we would find joy, and ultimately that we would find rest. Hear us tonight, in his name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to sing uh, Hark How the Adoring Hosts Above, and then I'm going to take a few questions. to the Lamb that won
I would like to remind you that I lost an hour of sleep last night, so hopefully we show grace in the questions that are coming across tonight. All right, um, let's take a few questions and um, just take some time to reflect on them. Uh, the first one says this, you mentioned that our lives' stories are molding us to be more like Jesus. How does the sin and addiction in our story make us more like Jesus? Um, that's a great question. Um, so Paul says, Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29, that was the passage that I referred to. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, right? So God has a plan in calling and, and predestining people. And Paul says that that plan is to be conformed to the image of his son. And the question is basically, well, how do things like addictions, um, how do, how do things, hard things, difficult things like that, how do they play into shaping us to be more like Jesus Christ? Um, I think the way to answer that is to remember to look at it through the lens of the cross. I think if nothing else, um, the cross tells us uh, that God can use difficult, uh, painful things, God can use suffering, and he can use them in a way that ultimately serves for good. And, you know, when we look at Jesus, for example, what we see on the cross is that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of his hardship, uh, he's just, he's, he's being brought to a place where he's just entirely entrusting, uh, entrusting himself, I should say, uh, to the good care of his father. I love the phrase of Jesus from the cross where he says, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And one of the things that, um, that you deal with um, in addictions is um, there's, there, there's such a, a grip that takes hold of us, right? And it can become um, something that's just all-consuming to pursue. And the only way, uh, I love Tim Keller's uh, quote. Um, he says, we, we worship our way into sin and we need to worship our way out. And so the gospel offers, uh, the gospel offers something for people who are struggling with addictions in a way that are... Um, they're desiring to fulfill the, the, uh, the gospel offers something that's greater, richer, more fulfilling, more satisfying. Um, and by the power of the Spirit, I think, uh, enables us actually to break free uh, from addictions. But it is, it is difficult. And I think, uh, if nothing else, it, it teaches us to rest in Christ. Um, whether it's a particular addiction or sin, it, as we learn to let go of those things, we, more and more we have to learn to rest in Christ. So I appreciate the question. It's a really difficult one. It's a personal one. And, um, and I think just uh, my prayer would be that if you're struggling with addiction, that one day you'd be able to actually look back on that, um, which often happens in hindsight, that you would be able to look back and to see how God used even that period of your life uh, to cause you to have a deeper appreciation for who he is and a, and a deeper appreciation uh, for the cross of Christ.